This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit CanDoWealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm James Heal and I'm joined today by Isabel Hartman and Katie Balls. Uh, first item on the agenda, which has been dominating the House of Commons this afternoon, are the government's plans to introduce minimum service levels in six key industries. Grant Shapps with a dispatch box facing off against Angela Rayner. Isabel, talk us through these proposals and uh, why they're being introduced now. So this is a very political piece of legislation, uh, both for... Uh, the Conservatives and for Labour. Labour have called it the Sack the Nurses Bill um, because it basically, in blue light areas, uh, in blue light areas of work, so ambulances, fire service and so on, would require unions to guarantee minimum service levels and in other sectors for there to be voluntary agreements in place. Not to minimise the impact of strikes, the Conservatives argue, but just to ensure that there is basic safety. And that's the way they're framing it. So Grant Shapps frames it as, you know, it's amazing that the Labour Party doesn't want to ensure that lives are are safe when there's a strike on and we're not blocking the right to strike. The way Labour is characterising it is that um, because part of this is also that if the unions don't guarantee uh, those minimum service levels, then they could face legal action, they could be sued. And so Labour is saying not only does this curb the right to strike, it also puts people's jobs at risk. And how is this going to help sectors such as healthcare, which are facing workforce crises, if you put uh, even more jobs at risk? It's obviously a way of bringing the Conservative Party back together after a bruising year and a bit, because it's something that Tory MPs largely agree on. But I suppose, I mean, one of the points that Angela Rayner made at the dispatch box is that really the disruption isn't coming from the strikes. It's coming from the standard of public services at the moment, which is very low. Uh, We had um, Wes Streeting in the Commons yesterday responding to Steve Barclay on the disruption in emergency care at the moment um, and the pressures on emergency care. And he asked, and I thought this was quite a good line, when are we going to see minimum service levels from ministers? And I think that probably is a question that a lot of people are asking which is you know how do I know when there's a strike on because it's quite difficult to tell I mean I was talking to someone the other day who waited for a bus for an hour before they realized there was a strike on because they just got so used to the bus not turning up anyway I mean Isabel you mentioned there about um, you know bringing the Tory party back together but I think one of the headlines that will be tomorrow is about Stephen McPartland Tory backbencher who's come out and said that shameful 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 to target individual workers and order them to walk past their mates on picket line or be sacked by all means find the unions make them agree to minimum service levels but don't sack individual NHS staff to teach some workers Katie the government on paper obviously still has this healthy majority but given the divide within the party what chances are do you think that this legislation will get through the House of Commons before facing presumably an even tougher battle in the House of Lords I mean I think also the, the principle of this legislation, the bare bones of it, and of course it's been expanded for some sectors, was in the Tory manifesto. Um, so I think this, of all the things that are going to get through the Commons, is something where I think the whips are fairly confident there is a majority. I think there's obviously a question about, particularly on health workers, as Isabel was saying, which is like the most sensitive part of this. But, for example, on trains, 
this is something which has broad support and actually lots of Tory MPs have been saying why is it taking you so long if you think back to the election victory to now so I also think if you think about Rishi Sunak as someone and his team who are really going through all the plans and trying to cull um, you know a bit of a barnacles off the boat modus operandi at the moment but trying to cull where they need to things that are either too divisive or seen as a distraction so you look at Channel 4 recently I think they're going through lots of things at the moment the fact that Rishi Sunak has decided to start the first week back in Parliament by introducing to this house shows you that for someone who is very conscious of the fact it's more like a coalition in the Tory party that he is governing this is where they think there is support because they don't want to do something that exposes weakness which is why I'm lots of Tory MPs say well yes you got your five priorities but you need to be more bold um, where's the supply side reform they would say well we could say that but if we try and do planning reform and then there's a big rebellion does that make Rishi Sunak look bold and radical or does it make it looking quite weak and um, therefore I think it just shows you that this is where they do think they have they have the numbers. I also think it almost goes into a bit of a carrot and stick approach because on the one hand, you've got uh, the government bringing in the minimum service levels, which is, I think, very much stick. <laughs> but then they're also trying to talk nice on pay. So yesterday, when you had the strike talks, lots of the unions coming out and saying, very disappointing, bitterly disappointing. And the government saying, very constructive. <laughs> um, you know, good to keep talking. And, and therefore, I think they're trying to balance this whole we are listening, we value health workers with this legislation, which obviously is, you know, but, but at the end of the day, we can have an iron fist. <laughs> Speaking of the health service, Isabel, there's been an interesting proposal recently by um, one of the older elements, perhaps, of the Conservative Party, Ken Clark, who was health secretary during the late 1980s and introduced the internal market to the NHS, potentially proposing that people pay to see their GP. Just talk us through Ken Clark's proposal and his thinking behind it. Yeah, so this was a really interesting proposal he made to Times Radio where he said that he's really changed his mind in recent years. He was somebody who, when he was Health Secretary, had what he described to me as screaming rows with Margaret Thatcher about NHS reform and uh, regularly had to uh, encourage her to, to back down from the idea of sort of you know going towards a, a more kind of American-style insurance-based system. And you know he was one of the the wets uh, of that government. Although he, that's not to say that he didn't really enjoy having a massive fight with the BMA. Who, I mean, it, it, he, given the opportunity now, he would still probably enjoy a fight with the BMA. But his suggestion is uh, for people to pay modest charges for visits to the GP and um, minor operations if they are better off. And he thinks that's one way of obviously bringing more funding in. His argument is that look. We already have charges in the NHS for prescriptions. Uh, Within NHS dentistry, we have charges uh, for for things like fillings, if you're lucky enough to get an NHS dentist, which most people aren't. And so it's not as though this is crossing the Rubicon in the way that people like to suggest charges came in, you know, in the 1950s. And admittedly, they did lead to uh, Nye Bevan resigning and then the government basically collapsing. But, you know, apart from that, they've had to be accepted as part of as part of life. Now, I think this is interesting. I think it's interesting that Ken Clark is the only person who's felt able to raise this. I mean, he's now a peer. He doesn't have to worry about voters. He likes people being annoyed with him. And he doesn't have any of the normal considerations that active politicians and MPs have. Generally, people stay well away from having a let's talk about the founding principles of the NHS debate uh, because it's just too toxic. I think, though, there are some issues with this. One is that it would mean that the middle classes would be paying 
twice for a health service without necessarily a discernible improvement in quality. And the consent of the middle classes is really important to the survival of the health service. It was very important to the foundation of the health service. Uh, Middle classes did already have access to health care back in the 1930s and 40s, uh, but it was through very expensive insurance premiums and they weren't happy about that. And so their, their desire for a national health service was as important as the desire of working class people or indeed women who had very little access to good quality uh, health care that was you know as important to the setting up of the health service so I think if you start to erode that universality principle I think it takes you to quite a risky place for the overall overall health service and if you you know perhaps that doesn't matter if you want to see a new system anyway and if you think that the 1948 model is hopelessly outdated and so on I don't think at the moment the government's ability to do anything gives you much faith that it would also be able to completely start a new health service. I mean, you know, and there are, I think, quite a lot of reforms such as social care, such as workforce planning and so on, uh, that are not hidden in a cave on some scroll that we haven't found yet, that we know about, that could be done, that would be much easier comparatively to charging or to raising the whole thing to the ground and starting again. I mean, Labour's been talking a good game on health reform. A bit too far for them? Uh, well, it's interesting because, I mean, where's Streeting? Look, he's super keen on being a sort of challenger to the producer um, interest within healthcare. And he wants to say, you know, I want to be the, the patient's advocate and um, I want GPs to be uh, effectively nationalised, uh, which I always find hilarious because people don't realise that GPs aren't nationalised. But I think... It's interesting that he is often an outlier on reform. He seems to have surprised his predecessor, John Ashworth, on his GP proposals today. And uh, I think really Keir Starmer leaves him to it on health policy to an extent that embarrasses Starmer because Starmer did actually promise to end outsourcing within the NHS, which is something Sreeting has been very clear they will not be doing. And finally, uh, talking there about um, people quitting... um, it was reported in the Times yesterday evening that Claire Perry O'Neill, former Conservative MP between 2010 and 2019, has now switched. She's left the Tory party and is now saying very nice things about Keir Starmer. Katie, this follows George Osborne's praise of Rachel Reeves and uh, giving occasional formal advice to her. Is this part of a trend of Osborneites defecting to the Labour Party? I, mean, I think the George Osborne thing is quite different to this in the sense that George Osborne is someone who... I think always likes a bit of mischief, but also from a chancellor to a potential future chancellor, um, can, can offer some praise without meaning that George Osborne's about to vote Labour at the next election. Um, and I also think you think about George Osborne's uh, recent foray into punditry when, on the Andrew Neil show. I think like one of the things that makes him interesting to listen to is the fact he uh, you never quite know what he's going to say, and he is using his experience as a chancellor to then say, well, this would be interesting in that sense, rather than um, saying, I am now a partisan creature which um, supports Keir Starmer. On Claire Perry O'Neill, now, this is someone who has not been an MP for a while now. I think it's worth remembering that she was messed around somewhat when it came to COP. 
So initially she was meant to be the COP president and then that was revoked by Boris Johnson and I don't think that landed particularly well. So there have been issues bubbling away for some time now in terms of uh, the relationship with the Conservative Party. But I think it is another example how those who have been seen in the One Nation wing of the Tory party and uh, often that's described as the moderate wing, um, could be quite soft in terms of a you know, soft base for Labour to reach to if they feel the Tories are moving in another direction. She also just makes the point that the Tories are quite self-obsessed. And I think we can all say from covering <laughs> the past year that at times that has seemed quite fair uh, with more psychodrama than focus on delivery. But even now, you know, Richard Sunak and his team will repeatedly say we want to focus on delivery. And lots of people say, well, actually is that is that enough um so you, you can't particularly win but I, I think it does just show you that there is probably a base where, where labor are thinking about where they're going to get the, these votes from um i think that particularly in these blue wall areas uh, there Tory is a remainer types yeah I, I would say the one nation type wing would be where they might be able to get some thank you katie thank you isabel and thank you for listening to coffee house shots